Yep. All right, guys, we are live. Welcome to the season opening Illuminati podcast, proudly presented by Irish Thirty One. Uh, let's let's have some fun with this Irish Thirty One. Uh, seven great locations, including Hyde Park, West Chase, Wiregrass, Cheese, uh, Seminole, Sarasota, West Shore Plaza, and there's also one in Oviedo. So you know, after Black Friday, after you know the Bulls pull off the upset, go hang out at, at Irish Thirty One in Oviedo because uh, I mean you're already there. So uh, it's great, you know, and, and Irish 31 has some great specials, uh, you know, all day, every day, uh, every Monday through Friday, three to seven happy hour. Just that's that's the play. That is the play right there. Three to seven. Get off work. Go go have some fun. Three dollar ten cent domestics, uh, dollar off other drafts, two for one well drinks, a dollar off all call drinks. And then on Tuesdays, they have Trivia Night, and it's also Teacher Tuesday. Uh, special priced apps and $3.50 uh, drinks for educators. Trivia at 7.30. Uh, Wednesday, Run run Club Night. It's free to join. And there are specials, uh, food and drink specials for the runners. Thursday is uh, appreciation for uh, healthcare professionals, EMT, fire, police. Uh, $3.50 uh, cent drinks all day for those folks. Friday. Date night, happy hour again, three three to seven, and then Saturday, football Saturday. Let's go. Let's go. $3.50 Irish 31 red ale, $5 Schmiernoffs, $7 crown Tito's, uh, $3.50 yingling bottles. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And then Sunday to, to kind of wrap up uh, the weekend before you head on to your work week, uh, before you know the NFL kicks off, uh, you've got $5 Bloody Marys, $4 mimosas, $4 screwdrivers. All day. All day. Again, check it out. Irish 31. Uh, it's going to be a great partnership. I'm excited for it. Uh, really appreciative of, of Irish 31 uh, partnering with the Daily Stampede this season. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a lot of cool things uh, ahead. October 2nd, the, Un- the USF Alumni Association will be having their watch party for the SMU game at uh, Irish 31 in Hyde Park. Uh I am pretty confident that we're going to also have our watch party October 28th. It's the East EU game. No one's going to be traveling to Greenville anyway. Come out to Irish 31 Hyde Park, have some fun, uh, hang out with some fellow USF fans. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, and we've got some uh, cool, cool prizes, cool tickets, everything to kind of give away. Uh, again, Irish 31, one of the best bars in Tampa. Let's go. Well, guys, Seth, Steak. How are we doing? It's game week, guys. It's been forever. Yeah. And well, guess what? You know, it's a special week because we got a couple newcomers in here. Oh, snap. Let's go. Let's go. Nick Simon is here. Nick Simon, Anthony Vito. How are we doing tonight, boys? I'm I'm doing great. You guys look like you're having a good time. You've done this a few times. Oh, yeah, man. It's It's a lot of fun. This is a fun fun way to to do podcasts and interact with uh, everyone it's it's gonna be fun it's gonna be you know every week uh all season long and it we're gonna we're gonna have some fun with this we're gonna have some graphics that may not translate for to the audio version but it'll be all right so guys we'll just have seth described in vivid detail <laughs> yes to pivot to video and so we're pivoting to video yeah exactly exactly guys let's kick it off we got some pretty big news today 
Uh, all the, the the major donors got an email invitation for September 8th at 11 a.m. for USF's IPF groundbreaking. Here we go. It's about damn time. Whew. How many years making? Is it three or four <laughs> since the initial? Uh, I mean, we're talking Mark Harlan years at this point. I, yeah, yeah. Since that initial gift, I think in eighteen, something that like that. Right. I I want to I want to say um, Charlie first brought it up in twenty seventeen, but I may I may be mistaken that for twenty eighteen. But yeah, pretty long damn time. But again, trust in Michael Kelly; he will get the job done. Uh, I know there was a board of trustees meeting last week, and basically it said if if they can make up, there was a five million dollar shortfall they needed to make up that five million dollars before they could go ahead so clearly something happened in between august 24th board of trustees meeting and uh today i gotta come clean guys it wasn't me i didn't Uh, i didn't do it (laughs) i don't know who did it um but uh they're king in my book or queen uh and i love them my my unprofessed love is to this anonymous person, and I I, I owe them greatly. Absolutely, it was, it was Colin, wasn't it? Uh, it must have hit a, it uh, must have hit a big parlay last weekend. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean Nick's securing the bag too. So I mean, let's it was go. A tag team effort. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this is just such a huge step in the right direction for usf there it was always out there in the ether yeah this is it's coming down the line it's coming down the line and then we're, we're here we finally made it we're what i don't do math well like eight days away something like that it's gonna be what nine, next wednesday nine, but who's counting nine nine days nine days away from groundbreaking for a facility that's going to be up and ready for fall camp next year that's just Man. Michael Kelly pulling rabbits out of his hat. But I mean, even now, finding materials is tough, but they were able to get it done. I mean, happening next year, that's quick. That is exciting. And uh, the timing could not be any better. Right. Uh, I mean, Nick, what what can this what does this do? You you live out of state. What can this do to uh you know change the perception of, of USF? You covered high school football and recruiting in georgia for how what two years like what can what can this do you know outside of the state well i mean it just sends the message that we're actually you know building stuff you know like i i think i've discussed this before how obviously i mean obviously alabama is like in another stratosphere but they always have the mantra that you always need to be building something because when you're building stuff you're you know, signaling that you're always thinking ahead to what's next, what's moving forward. And with this program, you know, it's, we kind of, we, there was obviously a point where we kind of fell behind to the point where even our peers were starting to pass us up on the, um, on the facilities front. So this right here, like, I mean, we've been talking about this for a couple of years now, this right here is exactly what this program needed. And to be able to, finally put a shovel in the put the coveted shovel in the ground that's that's huge i couldn't agree more steve you're you're kind of uh the young man here i mean 
how how does this what does this do for uh, i mean you're pretty plugged in with the fans and, and recruits uh as our you know resident guru right now what can this do for recruiting in florida in the city as well I mean, it, it sets USF apart, not just in, in the group of five, but from the rest of the schools in the state of Florida. You know, and that, that's going to include Florida State, UF, and Miami here. A uh, little fun fact. So USF's indoor practice facility is going to cost, they, they kind of estimated it's worth about 22, $25 million, depending on how you, know, you look at it, the inflation of it and all whatnot. If you take into account how much the indoor practice facility at Florida State and at UF cost, that was about $15 million. So, of course, you know, they have a little bit of other added facilities to go with that as well. But you're looking at what is potentially going to be the nicest indoor practice practice facility in the state of Florida because you Miami doesn't have one. UCF, they use all the scrap metal when they tore down – the fucking railroad track in Disney World. Like, you're not looking at a, like, this is the nicest indoor practice facility that you can get. And so now, the fact that it's going to be built within a year, you know, of course, you're still going to have to show the rendering to the recruits and everything like that. But now, when they start building it and when you see the shovels in the ground, you can see the whole kind of picture coming together of what Michael Kelly and Jeff Scott have been trying to build here. And that's something that you can pitch to recruits that no one else can that this foundation, both both physically and metaphorically, is being built and recruits can be a part of it. This is going to be something that is actually going to change the, the projection for USF for the next 5, 10, 20 years. Exactly. It gets them into the arms race, right? It, that's been the issue since inception it's they have not been in the arms race especially in the state of florida especially in that that mid-tier group of five that they're really in this gives them a shot it just at least gives them a fighting chance they're not bringing a knife to a gunfight at this point yeah and i think it also shows um signals a commitment from the administration to the football program right which is which is important too in recruiting when parents are looking at schools and kids are looking at schools and you're you know, when you like, as Nick said, like, why does Alabama always want to be building something? Because it shows they're not only does it show they're looking forward, but there shows they're committed to the administration is committed to the football program and committed to athletics. So I think that also is going to only help you in recruiting. And they were doing a pretty good job recruiting just with renderings and ideas and slideshows. Now, when they're going to be able to show some physical, some actual physical things, I think it's going to help them quite a bit. Absolutely. Via, is there anything that, you know, we, we may be missing. I mean, you're, you're on campus, you, you see what things are kind of progressing uh, across the university spectrum. Uh, what, what's been the scuttlebutt, you know, that you've heard on campus? Nothing in particular, but I, what I will say, especially on that side of campus, when things start going up, you, people start noticing. So it's going to be very, uh, once they start getting uh, the infrastructure up, it'll be very noticeable and there'll be a, a nice little vibe on that side. And I mean, they've, recently built a ton on campus brand new dormitories a whole brand new village i mean they completely got rid of uh you know the dorms that we all went to you know back in the day delta epsilon everything put brand new facilities up and once those come up you start seeing uh, more interest from more students so you'll i think you'll start seeing more interest from the student body on that uh, you're committed to athletics and i know that that's been something that's there and something to be said that um we have an interim interim president right now and that's still going through that just shows you what uh, michael kelly's pull is as uh 
VP of athletics and uh, he has a lot of respect on campus. So that's always a good thing, but uh, looking forward to seeing it. And if I can, uh, you know, drive by and say anything interesting, I'll let you guys know. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta tell us when the, the cranes start coming out and there's, you know, big, big toys uh, of, uh, you know, Tonka trucks and whatever, just kind of plowing through the, the athletic center. It's always fun when they do these buildings because there's a lot of moving dirt around for like a month and a half. And then all of a sudden uh, you get that first post in and it goes up in like two weeks. <laughs> right. And, you know, it, driving by uh, USF on my way to work now and uh, on Fowler, that that research park, whatever that research building that they're coming, that they're building like between uh, July 5th and today. I mean, the, the difference is astronomical. And I think they're going to be making sure that this thing gets done in, in a good amount of time. So, you know, maybe they can even, you know, get it up, you know, in the summer or something before, before fall camp. So these kids can really get used to it and have some fun. And uh, I was just thinking today uh, as uh, right after the, the, you know, it kind of broke, the news broke today. Uh, there was just a massive thunderstorm right in the area. Like maybe two hours later, I'm like, man, hopefully they weren't practicing because they, they would have to go inside. So it, it's just one of those things where high school football in Florida has to deal with it. And, and you know, it's it's only right that USF finally doesn't have to deal with that stuff uh, next year. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Moving on, guys, we, we've tiptoed around it. We've talked about it. But three more sleeps until USF football is back in action at NC State. Thursday night, ACC Network. 7.30, I think. Right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Man. Let's go. Let's go. What, a, what an exciting time for USF. Uh, regardless of the outcome, uh, football's back. We had no idea at this point last year what the season would look like. And now, you know, a year later, we've, we've got a clue. And that's what I'm excited about. We have an idea what the season may be like. Uh, I know we, we would all love the, the vaccination uh, percentage to be a lot higher than around 80%, but what can you do? Wolfpack, Bulls, college football. I know Steve knows what I'm talking about. So w- when's the last time that we opened up or USF opened on a weekday? I, I, I'm, I'm actually really loving the timing. Um, this is great radio. Who knows? You, you would think I asked the question, I would have had the answer, but I did yeah. Not. Why why ask questions you don't know the answer to already? Now you make us all look stupid. Someone wow. in the comment, someone in the comments, look it up, look it up. Well, guys, uh, I do know one thing: USF on Thursday night, horrendous. If if you couldn't remember, Thursday nights have been uh, a bit of a bugaboo. For uh, USF football, I believe they're six and eighteen lifetime on Thursday nights. Uh, they've they're zero and two in their last two Thursday night games. Uh, let me make sure I got this right. I think their last win was Tulsa in twenty eighteen. So that's not great. Uh, NC State, on the other hand, is actually decent on Thursday nights, which is unfortunate. And they're also like a good team, so that that doubly sucks uh, for USF on Thursday night. But I believe they're like they're seven and one on Thursday nights, if I'm not mistaken. Seth, this NC State team we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, they've got some talented guys on the offensive side of the ball, especially those two running backs. Uh, what what kind of experience and, and talent does this team bring to to the field on Thursday night? 
Well, I, I think I've I've read and heard they're they're returning like nineteen or twenty two starters or something to that effect. So they're bringing back a lot of players. Uh, we have here we can look at. So this is kind of the breakdown of each team by position, then total offense, total defense, and then the twenty four seven team talent composite just came out this week for the new season. So the kind of the the position numbers are are kind of um, they were kind of put together by uh, a group called CFB Winning Edge. So if you're somebody that's wagering on games, you need to check out CFB Winning Edge. They're on Twitter as well. But they kind of accumulated a lot of this data. But you see here, North Carolina State's got a lot of talent. They're really like a top 25 team on talent, it looks like, right, uh, by position. Now, I think this the positional data includes transfers. I don't know if the 24-7 data includes transfers or if they change the number to the transfer ranking they give them. So that could, uh, that could explain some of the difference here. Uh, but, but you see North Carolina state's got some talent, um, top 25 quarterbacks, top 30 running backs, two top 25 units on defense. And then the team talent composite for 24 seven has them 32nd in the country. So pretty good. Uh, USF comes in at 73, which is a big jump up from where they'd been. Um, they've gotten a lot better kind of Jeff Scott's kind of brought in a lot of talent. That's kind of turned it around pretty quick, but you can see USS is definitely going to be at a talent disadvantage coming into this game and North Carolina state returns, not only a lot of talent, but a lot of experience too. So it, I think it's going to be a pretty tough one for them on Thursday night. Agreed. Uh, Steve, what have you kind of uh, taken notice for, for USF to be able to compete and or win this game on Thursday night? It's, uh, I, I think we talked about it a few times last year, and, and this is going to be probably one of the more telling signs of, of where this team is at, but it, it's, it's going to come down to defensively how they can create havoc. I think offensively, I think this team is going to be fine throughout the year. Um, I think you've got explosive playmakers at running back and wide receiver. You've got a pretty good tight end core, and that offensive line unit is, is cohesive enough where I think they have enough kind of trust within each other to be successful. And then, of course, the quarterback room where you're finding out, you know, if Kate Fortin is going to be the guy, it looks like he's made those strides that the team needs to make. So I think offensively they'll be fine. They'll be able to move the football. They might stall out once or twice here or there with, with, against North Carolina State. Um, and the biggest thing that's going to be the concern is that, you know, our offensive line unit versus their defensive line, their running back is technically their strength, but that defensive line unit is probably their deepest uh, unit on the team. So you've got a pretty scary matchup there. But coming back to it, if USF is able to create havoc on defense, especially with Glenn Spencer, you know, being able to, to run multiple alignments, uh, Ben Mangum uh, mentioned today that they've been running a little bit of, of a four down linemen uh, rather than the traditional three, three, five that he's been running. So that tells me that they are prepared for basically multiple fronts outside of North Carolina State. Seth touched on it a little bit ago, I think last week, about their you know spread offense, but they'll, they'll power run it. So it's going to come down to can USF create negative plays on first down, whether it's somehow getting NC State out of rhythm, get them into like a first and 15 after a false start or something like that or a holding or better yet, getting tackles for loss or limiting gains as much as possible. I think that's going to be where if USF is able to pull off an upset, it is because we're going to look at that tackles for loss stat 
and we're going to see, holy shit, um, 12, 13 tackles for loss, like five sacks. Like, how, where the hell did this come from? That was nowhere what we saw last year. Now we're going to probably have to see that team make an immediate impact on that havoc unit. Exactly. And Nick, you know, NC State boasts two very capable running backs in, in Xavier Knight, or excuse me, uh, Zonovan. Excuse me, Zonovan Knight and uh, Ricky Pearson Jr. Both uh, they combined for 14 rushing touchdowns last year. Both over 600 yards, over four yards of carry. Uh, Knight actually led the team at, with five and a half yards per carry. Uh, you can see on the screen here, USF's defensive line is uh, the worst ranked unit of either team. How does USF stop this uh, potent rushing attack? Like Steve just touched on. Um, before just keep um, just keep bringing ex- you know exotic type blitzes and everything like that you know just do your best to fill the blocks you know I mean it's the defensive line has obviously been the weak uh, weak unit of this of the defense for the last couple of years but hopefully you know that experience and having Glenn Spencer and having a full offseason under Glenn Spencer will do wonders for them especially in this game and you and you you're hoping that um, with this being the op- with this being the opener, hopefully their offensive line is start is um, starting to like kind of trying to get in sync as well. Absolutely, I was talking to uh, backing the pack, uh, who's the SB Nation uh, NC State site, and they really kind of harped on that the, the offensive line was pretty average. And if you look at the numbers from last year, uh, NC State. Uh, average three three point four yards per carry uh, last season, so it, it was a bit of a slog uh, when Knight and Pearson didn't touch the ball. Uh, a lot of those were, you know, from from Bailey Hockman kind of getting sacked and, and pushed around. But that's definitely something to to really watch out for. I mean, they lost nearly five hundred yards last year, so you can create some havoc along the offensive line. I know there's still a lot of continuity uh, in that. And it, again, it shows their offensive line is the, the their worst ranked unit on the team. And it, it kind of bears the numbers. You know, I know a lot of people think recruiting doesn't matter, but I mean, when you really break it down and look at it, recruiting matters a lot. And you see where the shortcomings are. in a lot of these teams, when you see, poor recruiting take fsu for example offensive line usf offensive line defensive line nc state offensive line so there is a pattern it's not just ran- random i mean you'll get guys who hit who were two stars but for the most part you want to survive on those high threes low fours yeah and i think you know as you said that's you kind of got to a worst rank matchup on either side the worst rank unit for usf's the d line the worst rank unit for nc state is the o-line so that's going to come, kind of come down to hopefully um, you can get some, you, know, you can give those guys some help basically with how you use your linebackers. And, and then I think we all think the defensive back unit is a really athletic kind of uh, mix of body. So you got some tall ranger guys with some long armed guys that maybe you're going to see a lot more man coverage and, and, and that will kind of allow you to bring, put more guys in the box and to help stop that run game. So uh, it should be interesting. I think, these games when you're the underdog really comes down to I've, I, this, I, this is one of my philosophies on really any game, but especially when you're an underdog, you have to win the explosive play battle. You got to limit it on defense. You got to create them on offense. And then if you win the turnover battle, I think is really key when you're an underdog. 
So if you can go in there, generate a few turnovers, um, then, you know, you, you get plus two in the turnover margin. Well, now you, you just stole two possessions. So, you know, that's how you can kind of stay in the game and, and keep it close and give yourself a shot at the end. I uh, just got a question. How do we feel about Cade? I know I think we all feel pretty good about his talent going in the game. Um, I, I, I want to see how you guys feel. Do you feel pretty comfortable with him going to this game? And then I have another question um, related to that. Is we can kind of go around the horn here. It seems like from everything Jeff Scott's saying is that McLean is going to have some type of package and he's going to be playing in these games. So what? How, how do you guys feel about that? Is it are you guys all we need him to register or we want him to get the experience? What do you guys think on those two? How do we feel with Kay and then how do we feel with McLean having a package? Let's start with Vito. So, I mean, at, Cade has a, a year of the system under his belt. Uh, he was plagued with injuries and uh, COVID protocol issues all last year. But let me tell you, that one uh, series he had in the Tulsa game looked darn good until he got hurt. So, if he stays healthy, and I think that's kind of what we're all uh, curious about is is the health, as they say, the best ability is uh, availability. Um, but I mean, he looked great in the spring game. From what we hear, he's been great in practice. He's turning into an amazing leader. He really looks and 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 fits the part well, based on what we've heard from uh, practice and from scrimmage. So, looking forward to seeing it. On the downside, you get you know NC State, which is a borderline top twenty-five team, and then you get UF right out of the gate. So, that's kind of tough, and that's going to be a real tough barometer those first two games. Um, as for Tim McLean, I I personally think i think we all believe it that uh, mclean season can't get here soon enough um what kind of packages they have for him i i remember being uh watching quentin flowers his freshman year get get uh certain packages and unfortunately it burned his red shirt but now the red shirt rules are different so whether they bring him in i guess i would say if they're going to bring him in we don't teeter on that four to five game we burnt a red shirt because we're going to play in a blowout kind of thing if he's coming in because they have something very specific they want to run with him, I would love to see it, and I think it's a really good idea. What, Jeff Scott and Charlie Weiss Jr. said the same thing. We're going to get the best players out there and get the guys in the best position to win. So hopefully we see that, but hopefully that also means we're playing competitive games so we're not you know, putting true freshmen in at garbage time. That would be my only uh, concern there. But, I mean, I'm looking forward to Tim McClain. He looks amazing uh, in the scrimmages and the videos we've seen, and he, he could be an electric guy, and he's wearing number nine, and – USF has a good uh, repertoire with having players wear number nines. Absolutely. Nick, to it. what do you think? Um, I think this is a good spot for it's yeah, especially for Cade to start because he's already played um there's familiarity because he's already played NC State when he was over at um North Carolina. But you know, just overall going into the season with him, you know, even going back to last year, he's always been like uh Jeff's guy, right? And he's he was one of the first dudes that Jeff really brought in and recruited here at USF. And throughout the entire process, even going to last year, you know, if you like paid attention to his press conference, he's like trying to will someone to like really grab the starting job. And that person that he had in mind was Cade. And unfortunately, like we mentioned before, you know, he just kept running into injuries and COVID problems. But ever since January, it it seems like, you know, like we, you know, back in the spring, we were talking about like this quarterback battle, but, you know, in hindsight, 
side, it's always been his job to lose, and he's really grabbed it. So, you know, so I feel I feel pretty good with him going in. I think that is a good approach that Jeff is taking, you know, really kind of trying to lock in on one particular guy and riding him, you know, for basically the almost the entirety of the season. You know, you don't really want to get bogged down into another quarterback carousel like we did last year. But on the flip side, though, like, obviously everyone's excited about McLean. Like, everybody, including the coaching staff, recognizes that he's the future. You know, if you pay attention to all of their social media videos and, like, all the different pictures they're putting, they're they're putting him, like, front and center. So it's clear what they're what they're going for. So whether, you know, I, I'm actually not really concerned about uh, burning his red shirt or anything like that. And, you know, if he, you know, if he can play and like, he can definitely make a difference, whether it's three games, four games, five, whatever, like definitely play him. Uh, I, I agree uh, wholeheartedly on that. Cade, Cade won the job fair and square. He absolutely crushed it in the spring and just carried it over to, to fall camp. Right. And there's, there's been talk. There's. It's always been kind of known that Cade was Jeff Scott's guy, and this is his first time being able to actually do something about it. Uh, I do worry that Cade Fortin does have a bit of an injury issue. We talked about it last week. I talked about it uh, in in the article I posted today. He's never stayed healthy unless he was uh, in the transfer portal since his senior year of high school. There's always been some issue that came up. Unfortunately, there's always been an issue. He broke his like a uh, second game of senior year of high school. Uh, he had multiple injuries at UNC, uh, you know, prior to transferring and losing the job to Sam Howe. And then obviously last year had COVID and then got hurt at Cincinnati game and then got hurt in the Tulsa game. And the Tulsa game, as you mentioned, it was the best he had looked. He looked very good on the drive, very comfortable, uh, was running around really well, and then uh, just went shoulder first uh, when you just lit. So I, I really do worry about him being able to stand a 12-game schedule, uh, and it's why you have three other scholarship quarterbacks. It's why the coaching staff brought in Jaron Williams, even though by all accounts, he may be the fourth guy on the depth chart right now just because he was out of football for basically a year. And he's learning a new system, uh, but there's still talent in that in that quarterback room behind him. And, I mean, we all know how I feel about Timmy McLean. I think he's going to break every single USF record ever. This kid is just electric. I can't wait for him. Him and Jimmy want to team up and really take over college football. So uh, I'm excited to see what they do. I think Nick, you're right. Who cares if they burn the red this year if it's effective and works well? Get him some reps. Uh, um, nothing bad that can really happen, right? Unless, you know, he loses a limb. Uh, get him the reps and have some fun with him. Yeah, and I think the Seth, other... How are you feeling about Cade? I know you, you were so on there. Yeah, I, I've got... I, I've, uh, I had Cade Fortin stock last year, and I, I held it. And I, I think he's really talented. Uh, a lot of physical talent, so he can really throw the ball. Um and then once you hear the coaches talk about how how he's mentally, then I, that kind of is the thing that um, kind of really sold it for me. So I'm really interested to see him play this year. Um, 
But McLean having a package is something we talk, we've been talking about for a few weeks now. Um, and it's kind of interesting that it's basically been confirmed by Jeff Scott that he's going to be playing. As Vito said, they want to play the best players. He's They feel like he's one of their best guys. So that'll be interesting to see how they mix him in. Uh, but, you know, I think we're all feel pretty good about where Kate is on the talent talent wise and understanding the system. It's really about, can they keep him upright and was it bad luck for injuries last few years or is this a pattern? So I think that's something we need to see. We're getting a lot of questions about the running back room. Do we uh, kind of really, where do certain guys fit in? Do we think it's going to be a running back by committee? Um, from everything I've read and heard, it seems like it's going to be running back by committee mostly. I don't know. Do, is there a guy that's kind of stepped up and taken the lead? Or it seems like they're going to use guys with their skill sets. So you have the smaller, quicker guys like Joyner and Batie. And then you have some of the larger guys. Um, Felix is kind of an in-between guy because I, 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 I actually coached against him in high school when he was in high school. Uh, he's He can go. He can, he can He's got some speed, but he's not a small guy either. So he might be in between. And then Mangum seems like a big bruiser. They liked his body type, what he brought differently. So I, I think you are going to see running back by committee, but they're probably going to break it down to this is what this guy does good. We're going to put him in these situations. So they may not all be running the same schemes. They might kind of mix them up by scheme because they are so diverse in their skill sets. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if you see two of them on the field at the same time. So uh, what, what do you guys see and what are you guys thinking about the running back room? Yeah, I think you're right. I think they're going to try to utilize their skill sets. And the the one reason, or you know, one of the reasons that Jeremy Mayhem is here is because Leo Parker tore his ACL, uh, and they needed a big back who can pass protect. Uh, and the team are, are on the smaller side and did struggle with pass protection last season. Uh, so having having a bigger guy who can do that, Darren Fields was supposed to be that guy. Uh, but hamstring injuries kind of really uh, hurt him in the long run there. Uh, so getting him in, uh, and from all accounts, he's been absolutely crushing it. Uh, Kelly Joyner as well. So I'm excited to see, you know, where where this room goes. It, I mean, we, we talked about last week. There's so much more talent on this roster than there has been in two, three years. And it, I'm okay with the plug and play with, with whoever it is uh, because they're, they're still talent. And uh, I mean, I may be completely off here, but guys, uh, Nick, uh, you know, what, what are you thinking right now about this right back room? So where it is now compared to what? Uh, one thing that I absolutely love, especially, uh, and this, this kind of goes across all um, of the skill positions, is just the depth. The amount of guys in the running back room, the wide receiver room, there's so much versatility. Way, way more than it has been in the past few years. So it's just, you can convince me that because you have all of these horses, essentially, th- that that can jump jumpstart this offense. I mean, and we didn't even talk about Kawan Powell, who's the freshman, but that running back room, I mean, we saw it the last game against C, Brian Petit and Kelly Joyner over 100 yards. I think it's just going to come down to who can come in for pass protection. Uh, and and be successful, especially if the offensive line isn't holding up as well as it needs to, and who doesn't put the uh, the ball in the dirt because uh, the last thing you need is fumbles. So 
uh, and just probably riding the hot hand. And, and that, that could change game to game. And I think that's having that depth is huge compared to the last few years and, and, and can kind of keep your momentum going in a positive way. If something doesn't go right, switch hands. You have somebody who can do a change of, change of pace. You have guys for different uh, specific uh, game plans and specific parts of the game. And then same with the wide receiver room. I feel the very same way. Like the skill position and talent starting to look a lot closer to what it was, you know, back in 2016, 2015, than it was um, the last few years. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that helps and just having everybody kind of lean on each other too. I think it's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, it, it sucks that we, uh, you may, it sucks that we lost um, Quan Powell to an inj- injury because, um, because, you know, again, you pay attention to kind of what who specifically the coaching staff was uh, mentioning, you know, in the weeks leading up. And he's a name that I saw that I saw come up quite a few times. So it's kind of clear like they had for him. And obviously it's unfortunate that he went down. But um, I, I'm really curious to see um, Darian. You know, he was obviously like this it was a big boom from Oregon, you know, uh, uh, Fort Myers area kid, obviously coming back home. Those are the type of dudes that you obviously want to get in the transfer portal to come basically come back home. Obviously last year he, um, wasn't able to get on, on the field really and play. So just having that like senior leadership presence, who's been on like winning teams at Oregon, that that'll be, that'll be huge for this room this year. Yeah. I, I think Felix is a guy that's getting lost in the shuffle a little bit. He was really to Nick's point. He's really talented and he's a guy that was highly recruited, went to Oregon, uh, played a little bit out there, but he, he's a guy that has a, a rare combination of a uh, pretty good size and he's, he's explosive. We had where I coached when we played him, we had a lot of guys that were fast we weren't always huge. We have a lot of speed, and he was running away from dudes with ease when he got out in the open field. So he's a different kind of dude. I think he's really talented. So we'll see how he does. Um, next question is how's the offensive line? I think it's you know we'll we'll see. Um, this is a unit that is not one of the most talented on the team, but it's kind of better than you think in terms of talent. I think we saw their 67th in the country, so really middle of the road in terms of talent offensive line-wise. But they returned a lot of guys, and they returned some cohesiveness, and they returned a lot of starts in the system. So you're kind of hoping that cohesiveness leads to better play this year. Um, And then they could, when you have a better quarterback and receivers, you can also scheme around your line a little bit more too. And uh, having McLean and, and even Fortin's got a little bit of mobility. You can scheme around your offensive line a little bit more if you can get guys that can win in man coverage and you can use the quarterback run game. So I think that'll be kind of a key. See if that cohesion helped them uh, improve. And then if not, can you scheme around any issues you might have? Steve, did you have anything to say about the O-line or the running backs? There it goes. Um, the O-line is, is I feel like one of those units just on any team that gets better as it ages. Um, it's not one of those positions where you can kind of plug in a new guy and, you know, things get better. It's it's not like you can just kind of repair that kind of stuff really quickly. So the more that these guys, you know, get playing time next to each other, the better the unit's going to perform. Of course, if they're straight up not talented, that's one thing. But we know that the unit is talented. It's just they have to learn to play together a little bit more. 
trust each other, trust the guy next to you is the big thing on the offensive line. And then obviously communication as well. So I think the offensive line is going to be improved this year. I think, you know, in any cohesive offensive line, you usually get year to year improvement as long as no one kind of leaves like that. So I'm excited to see that in this running back room on the other side of the coin is one of those things where you could really plug and play a guy. Or if you're getting a guy like Kelly Joyner, who's, you know, not hitting the hole as hard as he normally does, or you're, you're kind of concerned over, you know, his pass protection and his vision or anything like that. You know, there, there's really no harm in, in doing a roaming back like committee. You obviously don't want to kill a guy's confidence if he's hot, but you know, that's where you can kind of come in and say, all right, we're not, we're not beating them on the outside with Kelly Joyner and Brian Petit. You know, let's, we gotta, we gotta game plan something else. We gotta, you know, go 21 personnel and start pounding the rock with Jared Mangum. Um, and even Darian Felix, like you mentioned earlier, has that size. So you can really kind of scheme to whatever strengths or whatever weaknesses the other team's defense has. So I think this is a, a good unit. It's, I don't want to call it a running back by committee because I feel like that's kind of like playing a two quarterback system, but you can definitely be more flexible than you were last year where you really only had speed and more speed and then young speed and then Darian Felix who couldn't stay healthy. So I'm excited to see what this what this running back room is capable of this year. And uh, on the flip side of that, uh, you know, NC State's uh, trio of linebackers are going to do everything in their power to to stop USF's rushing attack. And uh, they they've got some pretty capable linebackers. Peyton Willis, who's a redshirt uh, sophomore, uh, had 108 tackles last year uh, and he led the team in tackles for loss with 11 and a half and chipped in three and a half sacks and had two interceptions. The, the kid does it all. And then uh, just right behind him, Isaiah Moore, he also, he had 94 tackles, 11 tackles for loss and three sacks. And then and rounding out the group, uh, Drake Thomas, who had 58 tackles, uh, nine and a half tackles for loss and three sacks. So the three of them combined for nine and a half sacks, which is two and a half sacks more than USF had all season long. Uh, granted, NC State did play more games than USF, but you can't get out sacked by just by three people over the course of a season. So there is that, uh, you know, not going for USF. Those three guys um, are vital for what NC State can can do uh, defensively and stopping uh, USF, you know, running, stopping the tight ends, you know, Mitch Brinkman and Gunnar Greenwald. There's some talent there. They're, they're going to be key for USF to to stop and, and you know, mitigate some of the, the, the havoc that they can create. Yeah, I think they they also had a really good defensive tackle in front of them last year too. I think it was an NFL draft pick that helps free those guys up a little bit too. So maybe you know without that guy there in the middle, maybe it's it'll be a little bit easier to get blockers up to them. I don't know, but like you said, it's a really good production from them last year. Statistically, it seems like they're pretty good players, so they'll be definitely a group to watch. Um, I think a key matchup. Obviously, they all seem like they're you, you kind of start going through them. Like, oh, yeah, well, this, 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 but if you can win some one on ones outside and, and kind of loosen up the defense a little bit, that'll make everything a little bit easier. Because what teams did last year and what teams did the year before, and what they're going to keep doing is if you cannot win one on one outside, they'll just play man coverage and load up the box. And now you can't run or pass. 
So you got to win those outside. I think I think USF has the quarterback play to be able to do it, and I think they have the receiver talent to be able to do it. Um, question, will we see four receivers on the field? I think that's possible. I think they like to be in 11 personnel, so that's one back and one tight end. I think that's their – and three receivers. I think that's probably their preferred personnel. But you may see with all the talent at receiver, you may see some four receiver sets and maybe some five receiver sets or maybe three receivers and two backs. I think you're going to see more personnel groupings this year than maybe you did in years past. Um, and they're going to have to use all of them to to, to kind of try to get some of those linebackers you mentioned off the field. Agreed. Uh, you know, could this could this be a, a trap game for NC State? I believe they they travel to uh, Texas A and M next week. So you know, could it be a trap game? Or excuse me, Mississippi State. Uh, and the two maroon colors are basically the same. Uh, they do travel to Mississippi State next week. Uh, is it a trap game? I'm just kidding. It's not really a trap game. Uh, for NC State, they're very well coached, blah blah blah. But maybe it's worth it's worth um, it's worth mentioning. That's a that's a very real thing. Maybe you game plan for Mississippi State and trying to figure out how to stop the uh, uh, you know Mike Leach more so than uh, worrying about USF. So you can get them sleeping. You never know. And I think it's uh, interesting that Jeff Scott does have familiarity with their program, being at Clemson. This is the same head coach that's been there for a while. So, you know, maybe he has some insight into how they like to do things that um, he was able to take advantage of at Clemson. Obviously, the the talent level is not the same, but the schemes can be similar, and maybe you can take uh, advantage of that kind of insider knowledge there. Right. You you mentioned Dave Dorn. He's been there for nine years, and uh, he's second all-time in wins at NC State. Uh, with 55. So there's definitely going to be a lot of familiarity with, with Jeff Scott. And plus, you know, there's the factor of uh, Devin Leary playing his first game in uh, just a little under a year. He obviously went down with a leg injury. I think, I think it was a leg injury or something like that uh, midway through the season. So, you know, he's been back and in training camp and, you know, obviously NC state people are really high on him, but then there's just the factor of, you know, just him getting back into like the game shape and game mentality. So, you know, there's a, there's potential for them to kind of catch him slipping, you know, especially in the first half. Right. And, uh, Devin Leary was, uh, very effective when he played, he played in four games, through eight touchdowns, two interceptions, and that was something that Bailey Hawkman really struggled with. He threw a lot of interceptions last year for NC State. So forcing Devin Leary to maybe speed up his process early on in the game, creating some havoc early on, maybe you know planting a seed of doubt that maybe he's just not quite back, I think may be key for this defense. Yeah, I, and we talked about what defenses may do against USF. Maybe USF pulls the same kind of playing out on NC State, we, we kind of, when you looked at their their team talent, receiver and tight end was not one of their higher groups on offense. I think offensive line was last, and that was the next group. It was in the 40s in terms of talent, where quarterback and running back were both in the 20s. So maybe you say, you know what, we're going to play man. We're going to load the box. We're going to dare you to complete tough passes, Devin Leary. Welcome back to college football. So maybe you see some of that. Maybe you see some blitzing early, man coverage, really play aggressive. I, I think – one thing we saw last year is Jeff Scott's not afraid to be aggressive. And so I don't think he's afraid. He's not going to come in trying to cover, right? He's going to come in trying to win. And sometimes you have, you got to go high risk, high reward. So maybe they come out and they play really aggressive on defense and say, Hey, you're going to have to hit these tough throws. If you do, congrats, 
And if you don't, now we got ourselves a ball game. Exactly. Uh, Daniel Chapman asked a, a great question. Uh, what What are the keys to keeping it within the 18 point spread? Uh, USF was five and four against the spread last year, even though they were one and eight overall. Uh, USF, you know, they can get blown out, but they they were good at winning you money most weeks. So that's that's where uh, you know I think Nick, you may be more well versed versed in the the betting world and the odds world now that you're you're over at DK Nation. Combining your knowledge of USF plus uh, the betting atmosphere. Yeah, Nick. What are your keys to the game from a from a betting perspective? <laughs> oh no, spread the Nick. Too. Um, just any, yeah, and just uh, yeah, you kind of went out there for a second, but in just any situation where you're the underdog, just kind of create create turnovers. Like, look at how weird that Illinois game was last year. They came in, I mean, not last year, uh, last week when they came in as um seven point underdogs to Nebraska and got a block punt. You know, create sort um. Sit, that weird safety that they got. You know, it's pretty brutal right now. I don't know what's going on with uh, everyone's internet. Maybe it's just me and Nick. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, so I, bad. Think, what, I think I think Nick's on the right track. They're like create create turnovers, steal some possessions. I think that's kind of the recipe, right? Steal some possessions on defense. Give yourself some short fields on offense. Um, if you win, the explosive plays, turnovers, right? It, three factors. I think if you win this, you're going to win the game. If you win explosive plays, turnovers, and average starting field position, if you win those three, you got a really good chance to win the game. Third down conversions is another one you can watch as you're watching the game. But uh, I think where Nick was going was if if you get can get some of those turnovers, you get some extra possessions, you get yourself some short fields, maybe you, maybe you block a punt for a touchdown, maybe you return an exception for a touchdown. Um, those kind of plays are the ones that, can really help you pull that upset and pull that cover. Steve, what do you think USF needs to do to cover? We're going to try your internet here. It's going to, it's just internet roulette right now. It so is. We're going to try it's, yours. It's fantastic. It's uh we're getting back into the swing of things, you know, with zoom, but uh, yeah, I, I think, I think we kind of already touched on a little bit. I think it's, it's being able to score points in multiple. It's going to come into play here. I think if you can, if, if last year USF wasn't very multiple when it comes to scoring uh, points, you know, a lot of times it just you know, run the football. So I think being able to score passing touchdowns here, being able to get, you know, defensive touchdowns, whether it's a fumble recovery for a touchdown, interception, pick six, whatever it is, or even then, you know, getting a blocked punt, getting a uh, kickoff return for a touchdown, kind of whatever it takes to, to create multiple ways to, to win the game. You know, I always think back to that Georgia Tech game in 2018 where, you know, I, I don't – I think USF much of an underdog, but no one really kind of gave us a chance against Georgia Tech kind of across the board. But you get two kickoff returns for a touchdown. Now you're starting to look like you're, you're back into the game a little bit, even though you gave up two massive plays. So I, I think that's where USF can pull off the upset is not just relying on the offense to score points here. And I think now that you have a dedicated special team coach that – is doing pretty good, it looks like. And you got a defensive coordinator with a full year under his belt knowing damn well what needs to happen. I think that's kind of – we're starting to see the recipe kind of getting put together here, at least, you know, at first. You know, what happens when kickoff happens could be completely different, though. Yeah, and I think the special team suffered last year because of the 
the kind of having to cycle so many different guys through on those teams. So you didn't really get to see the full effect of having a dedicated special teams coordinator last year. I think that's something you'll see this year without all the COVID, hopefully without, you know, guys being pulled out for COVID and contact tracing and things like that, where your practice time is all screwed up and, and that kind of thing. You're having to replace guys on the kickoff team the day before the game. Uh, So I think you'll see, hopefully that fruit will kind of bear itself this year. Back to Nick. Yeah, like I was just basically saying, you know, just if you're if you're in the underdog situation, have it and, and just create as many turn. Try to cre- put yourself in a position to create as many turnovers as possible to give yourself a shot. Vito, you haven't spoken in a while. Let's hear from you. I think everybody pretty. Hey, my internet's perfect. I don't know about you guys. You're the best. <laughs> I saved the best for last. Seth and Vito are good here. Um. I, I do like the one comment that says uh, he won PYU last year. Only bet USF once. That's the key. Forget USF spread. Enjoy the game. PYU is protect your unit, so no real money is uh, bet in those games, which is always fun. But I, I think you're right. Just underdog mentality. Try to catch a few breaks. But it's going to be stopping those running backs from what we hear. NC State running game is really solid. And um, try to make sure that you make Devin Leary beat, beat you with his arm. Uh, try to keep up offensively. I, I think too many times you you have too many uh, opening day, night jitters and maybe you give up a touchdown or two and all of a sudden it feels like a unsurmountable lead. But like play loose and try to keep the game out in front of you. Um, but I mean, pretty much you're right. Turnovers, third down conversions, keep the penalties down and finish drives. I think a huge thing that killed me last year was even if they got an explosive play, sometimes they'd be in the red zone. They just couldn't punch it in. And that's really the key uh, finishing drives in a positive way. And then uh, we'll, we'll see where we go from there, but I'm looking forward to just seeing football fans in the stands again. It'll be a, it'll be a good time. So uh, we'll see what happens. You're on Nathan. All right, man. Jeez. Hopefully it stays on. I took the video off. So hopefully it's fine. USF on third down last year, historically atrocious, just absolutely piss poor there's really no way to to call it uh defense opposing uh, offenses uh converted half of their third downs last year one half 50 percent uh folks that's not great and then on the flip side the offense converted just 30 percent of their third downs which uh is somehow slightly worse than allowing 50 percent uh in my mind uh so being able to just be a little bit better. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a defense that you know only gives up thirty percent on third down. Like if you drop it down to like forty two percent, that's improved. Forty. I would take forty five percent. Honestly, give me forty five percent opposing uh, third down percentage and bump bump the offense up to 38 percent. Show some improvement in that regard because uh, I think we all lost a lot of hair and age and time on third downs last year. So let's let's try to get some of it back this year. Yeah, just to put that number into context, basically every time an offense was on third down against USF, they turned into Alabama because I think Alabama was about about above fifty percent on third down conversions. So that so every every offense you played turned into Alabama on third down. That's not great. Let's get them down to like. Mrs. Tournament in Mississippi State on third down. Then you're then you're you'll, you'll be feeling a little bit better. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, Spear uh, thirteen. How's their wide receiver position looking? I I think you mean NC State. 
Well, uh, pretty pretty good. I think they return 86% of their production from last season. Uh, I'm going to butcher this poor guy's name, but he's actually really good and kind of in the running to kind of make some records. So I want to make sure I, I say his name right. Uh, double. E, I'm just going to call him Double E until I find his name. He's a talented wide receiver. He's fifth uh, in NC State uh, history right now in, in catches. Really kind of coming up there. Amika Amizi. Uh, he's a fifth year, fifth year uh, guy. Uh, he's he's really talented. Led the, led the team in in receptions uh, last year with 47. Uh, had 738 yards. Had five touchdowns. Averaged uh, a little over 60 yards a game. Uh, they're still just talent, uh, just a straight up across the board for this NC State team, uh, and it's going to be it's going to be a struggle for USF to to keep up with them, even with you know Devin Leary you know coming back. There's still a lot of talent for USF to have to defend, even with the new transfers and you know the talent influx on USF side. But there's really not a poison uh, on on this uh, skill position wise. I think you've got to be able to attack the the wide receiver, or excuse me, the offensive line and, and uh, the quarterback if you want to have a chance there because the, the running backs and, and wide receivers are very solid at NC State. Uh, are we, do we want to make some predictions? We, I mean, we've been on for about an hour. Are we about ready to get out of here with the us having to battle week one, battle the internet? <laughs> so. Yeah, the internet's up like five nothing right now. So yeah, let's 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 end on a, hopefully a high note. Uh, Vito, your prediction uh, for for the game: NC State, USF, ACC Network Thursday night under the lights. I will say ACC Network is going to be like live broadcasting from NC State all day Thursday. So there's going to be a lot of coverage. If you guys want to check that out, pregame show. I think an hour and a half pregame show. Uh, prior to the game so because it you know it's opening night uh be sure to check it out uh and then again on wednesday i'll have something posted uh for uh the other teams usf plays uh this week uh there's four other teams that they play this year playing on thursday so just keep an eye out um for that as well so Vito, without further ado prediction for for uh, thursday night I'm kind of hoping that this is a a, a a good game, a good matchup. I, I don't think I can predict a win quite yet just because it's really tough to see what this team's doing until we actually see the team play. So I'll go something like NC State 35, USF 21. Cover the plus 18. Nick? Yeah, as a road underdog coming into um, a Thursday night opener, I think one thing that this team will do is feed off of the um, NC State crowd because like was it like Carter G Finley that's the name of their stadium like that stadium can get hyped low-key especially on like these weird like Thursday night games when well I mean there's a bunch of teams playing on Thursday night but like we're one of the only games on you know it's week one it's the season opener so they're going to be hyped I think our team's going to like really feed off of that energy being able to play for the first time and almost in first time in a, almost a year. Um, I'm going to go NC State 38, USF 27. I, I really think this team, it's going to be one of those situations where like everyone, like maybe it's like early in the third quarter and everyone like looks up like, oh shit, USF is hanging with NC State, what's going on? But then eventually, you know, obviously talent will pull out 
it's going to be a good showing from this team to start off. So, yeah, NC State 38, USF 27. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think kind of similar to the first two guys. Um, I, I don't think they're going to cover. Um, I'm going to go out. That'll be different. But I, I think it's going to be something like 35-16. Uh, something like that, uh, maybe 38-17, somewhere in there. Um, I think I don't think USF uh, – well, I'd be really surprised and really pleasantly surprised if they're able to hold this offense down. Um, that would show a lot of growth from last year. But just going off of last year, I think, you know, I, I think NC State's going to score in the 30s. Is USF going to score? Can they match them? I don't know. So I, I, just on the safer side, I'd say like 35-16. North Carolina State. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I'm wrong. Yeah, I'll, I'll go next here. Uh, I think the over/unders around 59 and a half, 60. Uh, I think a lot of those points are going to be from NC State. Uh, I think it may be 42 to 21, NC State. Uh, just week one on the road. Yeah, I don't think this will be uh, a testament or. Uh, you know, harbinger for things to come for, for this team, but there's still a talent gap. And I don't think we're going to see what this team really is like until BYU, uh, because we know what Florida is going to do to them. And then you got FAMU as a, you know, a get right game as they call it. And then maybe, maybe a little bit more evenly matched at BYU, uh, you know, through the first four games, but uh, this is going to be, it could be bad if we're being honest. Um, so, and then finally, Stieg, take it away. Well, um, I do a lot of thinking. It may not be good thoughts sometimes, but, you know, I, I like to think that I can think good things and do good things and, and create a positive environment for everyone. Um, I like to bring up just a, a fun fact uh, for you guys. The last time that Jeff Scott played North Carolina State. He was with uh, some some small-ass fucking school in South Carolina, Clemson, some, something like that. Uh, but he beat North Carolina State 55-10. to 10. And I know last year I did this whole, you know, 56-7 to thing, you know, every single game. And we got close sometimes. We got really close sometimes. We, we had them on the edge during the Memphis game. You know, if UCF didn't score as many points as they did, I think we were really close in that game as well. So I'm done with the 56-7 thing. It was cursed. It it brought bad juju to the team. I'm done doing these outlandish predictions. Just kidding. USF wins 55-10. Jeff Scott revenge game. He comes back to Carter Finley, kicks some ass, chews some bubble gum. And you know what? Score doesn't matter because we're building the indoor practice facility starting next week. And that's all that matters. Amen, fella. Amen. Absolutely. Uh, to, to put a bow on this, interesting week one uh, version of the Blue Naughty podcast. Uh, you know, guys, if we were just doing this via Zoom, we would have we would have stopped and figured out what was going on with the audio. But since we're live, you got to just roll with it and uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. Probably. I uh, don't count on it. Uh, so it'll be fun. This has been the Blue Naughty podcast for Seth. Nathan, Stieg, Vito, Nick. It's been a lot of fun. Let's let's you know maybe catch a dub. Probably not, but why not? This has been the Blue Podcast. Proudly 
presented by Irish 31, seven different locations all across the Bay Area, Hyde Park, West Chase, Wiregrass, Sarasota, Oviedo. Go check it out. Great daily specials every single day. Hey, uh, one more thing before we sign off. Be on the lookout. We may try to do some stuff um, at halftime and post game, uh, depending on how the game goes. So uh, if you're following the Twitter, it should pop up there. Uh, we may give a heads up, but we may try to do some halftime and post game things, maybe some pregame stuff. We'll see how it goes, but we're, we may try to do that for some of the away games this year. So if you're not following on Twitter, follow on Twitter. Watch out for that. We'll put out a, uh, a we'll put a message out before if we're going to do it. But instead of watching these halftime shows with these guys that don't really care about USF, jump on with us. And we'll talk about uh, how the game's going, what we think's going to happen in the second half. Absolutely, be on the lookout for it. it's going to be exciting. Seth's film room will start next week when there's you know film film to process. So be on the lookout for that, and we'll hopefully figure out the bugaboos uh, that we've had uh, this week. And uh, again, Go Bulls. This has been the Bluminati podcast presented by Irish 31. Let's go catch a dub today. To, in four days, three days, two days, whatever it is. Go Bulls. Eat some boxy. Irish 31 rules. Go Bulls. Go Bulls.